I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Hey guys, Adrian here, and I'm here, of course, with Steve. Good day, guys. And we have with us today Michael Mills, the creative director at Heaps Good Production. Welcome, Michael. Why, thank you very much, gentlemen, and what a lovely, lovely day on the back veranda here, looking out over the uh, beautifulness that is the Adelaide Hills. Well, it is really stunning at the moment, but um, apparently in about half an hour there's a big storm during. But it's so peaceful at the moment, it's unreal. Well, that's cool, because that'll give us some nice variety that yeah. we can we can enjoy throughout the next six hours of me on the podcast talking. Cool. So yeah. that means I can go home, have dinner, come back. And I'll still be answering the You're first question. Yes. <laughs> the calm before the storm. We did an ep- Remember that time we did an episode and like we completely got blown out of control? We were sat out right on the edge, on the, on the green, weren't we? And, yeah. Uh, yeah, but aren't you guys always hit. on the edge? We are. We pretty, are. It gets pretty edgy here at the Aussie Wildlife Show. So, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about Heaps Good Production? Okay, so, so Heaps Good Productions, I mean... We all need a company name. Um, and so back in the day, uh, before the T-shirts, before the Heaps Good SA campaign, uh, I had two nieces that would say Heaps Good all the time. And I've gone, oh, that's, that's, I like that. I'm going to register that as a, as a business name. And so it was the first business name registered as Heaps Good in, in the universe. Um, it also meant that... The, so I've got the Twitter handle at Heaps Good. I've got, you know, my Instagram is at Heaps Good. My domain name is heapsgood.com.au and stuff. So, um, but, but Heaps Good Productions, so what it does, what I do, uh, story is fundamental, as in narrative, as in telling stories. And a significant component of that is telling stories of uh, the natural world, of, the, of natural history, also of uh, components of Australian history and medical history and stuff, but some of the stuff that I really love, and there's a character I have, Professor Flint, who's a singing paleontologist, and, and he falls within the heaps good umbrella of, of characters. Um, he's got his own Facebook page as well, but it's... it's for me, heaps good is, is about those sorts of things. So I do work performances with Adelaide Youth Theatre, the Australian Classical Youth Ballet. It, it also allows you to explore relationships, I think, with, with other organisations uh, to be able to do things because we can often do more things when we do them with other people than we can when we're on our own. So the it, it, in terms of the delivery outcomes... Uh, it can be a theatrical performance. It can be an album of songs. So Professor Flint has a couple of albums. You can find them on Spotify. It can be videos about things. It can be interactive tours. It can be birthday parties. So all of those kind of things. But fundamental to all of it is the telling of story, the telling of narrative. Because for me, that's the most human thing of all. Of all the things that we humans do that we've constantly thought over generations oh well we're the only ones that use tools you know we're not oh hang on a minute we're the only ones that have complex emotional like yeah no no we're not that we're the only ones that yeah no and look it may well be that we're not the only storytellers but it's pretty fundamental to who we are how we've learnt and engaged and survived as a species you know for 200,000 years or so it's the telling of story I think that that is quite significant uh, in terms of who we are. 
so yeah you certainly explore many different ways of telling the stories and a lot of your stories are very nature based so your main character, Professor Flint, he's a paleontologist. I haven't yes. met him yet, have I? You haven't met him yet, no. 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 What? So, yeah. <laughs> Where have you been, man? <laughs> It'd be funny if he just turns up out of the blue. <laughs> Who knows? But anyway, go on, Adrian. So he's got to obviously know a bit about paleontology. So what kind of journey has Michael done to learn about paleontology? Yeah, look, um, a completely accidental journey um, that was never a plan. And so I did a radio show many, many years ago on Triple M Radio that then became 3D Radio. It was a radio show for kids. And that came about because I, I walked into the radio station one day and said, hello, um, can I do a radio show for children? And the station manager at the time said, yes, you can. And I remember walking out thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing. How do you do that? So I just started thinking, okay, half an hour of radio, new material a week, what am I going to do? How would you do that? Well, because I'd, I'd started writing songs, so take a couple of steps back. Songwriting is the thing that I love more than all of the things, you know. And so I'd been writing songs and, and some friends had said, oh, I reckon those songs you're writing, I reckon they're probably so kids. And I go, oh, all right then, let's, let's, let's play in that space, see what, what happens there. Because it was a great love of, of doing, doing that sort of stuff. So walking to the radio station, they said, yep, do the radio show. So I then had to think about, well, what, what's the structure of a radio show? How do you, how do, you do that? And I thought, well... Um, I, each show will have a theme. Each show will have a theme. That makes sense. Uh, I'll have an action song. I'll have a song where you can sing along. I'll have a story. But if it has a theme... Now, it just so happened that at the time... So I phoned, I think I could have maybe may phoned up the zoo. They had an education officer. The Botanic Gardens had an education officer. All of these cultural institutions had education officers that worked under the same umbrella. And so they all knew each other. And then... So we, I, would, I would do a show where, you know, the... The show might be about a yellow-footed rock wallaby. There'd be a song about that. There'd be somebody... I'd interview somebody at the zoo about yellow-footed rock wallabies. We'd get some kids to talk about it. So that sort of stuff happened. And then one day, a couple of years after I'd finished doing the radio show, um, I popped into the radio station and said, Hi, how's everyone going? And they said, Do you want to interview David Bellamy? And I'm gone, of course I do. So one thing led to another and... David and I were walking through the St Kilda mangroves, as you do, and um, we he, we started talking about books. And he said, you've got to read The Future Eaters by Tim Flannery, which had just come out. It was the first time I had ever, um, and yes, I was born in England, but came to here when I was young. It was the first time I'd ever heard of, learnt about, understood that there's actually a prehistoric Australian story prehistoric Australian animals quite different to anywhere in the world and nobody and reading them for the first time and reading about you know the 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 or about the protodons about all these things I'm like, this is amazing this is extraordinary and it just happened to happen around about the time that that I'd start I'd done some shows at the zoo I'd done a couple of things at the botanic gardens and I'd been wanting to do something at the museum and it's like oh makes sense do something at the museum, do something about these megaphones. So I started playing around with the show, and I wrote the show and called Dancing with the Protodons, and it was songs about megafauna, and created this character. And the funny thing was, with Prof Flint, the, the, the final dress rehearsal that I had, um, he was an Australian. His name was Professor Tom Flanagan, because it was a play on Tim Flannery. And... 
he he was Australian, and I went home over the weekend, and I'm like, oh, there's something not not right. And his nickname was going to be Flint. There's something not right. It's like, mm. I walked past a puppet that I had that I used to use on the kids' radio show. Yeah, don't ask. Puppet radio. And anyway, the, the puppet had a little tam shanter and it was a little Scottish puppet. And he was just, hello, I'm brilliant. And he was at these quite... And I've just started laughing. Well, you set, you set all off, the yeah. birds off. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> so, but I had a song, one of the songs in the show, it was called Rocks and Bones. And I walked past it and I'm going, Rocks and Bones. Wait a minute. That then becomes Rocks and Boons. And I just started laughing and I thought, right, so the character's Scottish. So the character became Scottish. Over the three weeks that we did the show at the museum, he went from, hello, I'm Tom Flanagan, you, you can call me Flint, or Professor Tom Flanagan, you can call me Flint, he became Professor Flint. And so, and then Tim Flannery became the director of the museum. Paleontology Week happened. Just happened to be there at the right time. And so I got to hang out with all of Australia's leading paleos paleontologists like people like phil curry that were advisors on jurassic park and is the world t-rex expert all of these people were coming to adelaide and i was hanging out with them and what i fundamental to what i was learning through them was not just the content but the fact that you can create good art good theater good communication still having the science being right and so i became i become quite uh passionate that you have to get the science right to tell the story um and it's not good enough to just go oh well you know it's close enough i mean i i, I have a a hall of shame that i post on the dinosaur university and dinosaurs down under facebook page and you get and you get books and it'll be like books about di- like a kid's book that's a story of dinosaurs and it's got pterosaurs in it. it's like they weren't dinosaurs and you get publishers and people saying, "Oh, well, it's close enough." It's like, no, it isn't. It's actually you, you don't you don't have to tell children lies. You don't have to say it's close enough or good enough, because the natural world and the stories of the natural world are so extraordinary. It's like because Prof Lynch Scottish, he often gets asked about the Loch Ness monster, and I was like, "Well, mm, where where are the rest of them? You know, all, all of the things." It's like I've been asked about it so many times. So, well, you know, Loch Ness was empty ten thousand years ago. Where's the rest of them? How do they? You know, where's the sustainable population? So, are you coming on our podcast and saying there's no Loch Ness monster? Yeah, I am. Yeah. So, wow. Sorry, you heard wow. it here first. Wow, you heard it here first. But, but seriously, where's the rest of them? Like, you don't just have one of these things. Most excited people in the world, if their plesiosaurs were still alive, would be paleontologists because they'd all be there going, "Woo! This is amazing." But I often, when I'm at the South Australian Museum, flinting, and you know, you're there by the plesiosaurs, and I said, the difference is, this plesiosaur, this fossil, this is real. This is a this is an actual animal that swam in the sea, which is the other cool thing about fossils and objects. It's like, well, this 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 plesiosaur in front of us represents the species, and it gives us a sense of the species. But this is this is also a living thing, just like. The, the individual birds that you see flying around here, the little geckos, that little gecko, that's an individual, may have descendants or may not, but that the, the plesiosaur you're looking at, I think it's always really important to remember, it's like that, that was a living organism at some point, swimming in the sea doing stuff. And that's the stuff, it's the levels of story, I think, that for me, it, but none of this was a plan. <laughs> it was just, a, oh, I like that, I like that. Paleo week happened and it was like, just... 
and now I get to go on real paleo digs. I get to I get to co-write songs with some of the world's leading paleontologists. You know, so songs on my my albums are peer reviewed, effectively because you you go back and talk to the people or you get the research about particular things. Or I'll ask a paleontologist friend, so um, a friend of mine, I, I asked him, I said. What, what's a thing, what, what song can I write about? Um, Paul Willis. He, I, I said, if, if I asked to write a song about something, what, what would you get me to write about? And he said, um, Dinosuchus. And I said, why? And he said, because it ate dinosaurs. And for me, that's the song. That's the story <laughs> of the song. Like, and so the song, the name of the song is Lean, Mean, Seldom Seen, Dino Munching Submarine. So because it just, it's <laughs> like, I mean, the song most writes itself in that sense because, but yeah. Anyway, second question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it says Professor Flint sings those songs. Yes. Yeah. So they're in a Scottish accent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Tempted to ask for a line of the song. Yeah. Well, it's on Spotify. You can. You can. <laughs> I can. I. I can send you a MP3, and you can. But I just happen to have my bongos here. You, have, uh, you do have your bongos, don't you? Strangely, I do. What's that? Oddly enough. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, good. See, I don't sing this song. I haven't sung this song live for a while. Actually, I haven't sung it live. Professor Flint does all that. It was lean, mean, seldom seen, dino munching submarine. Lean, mean, seldom seen, dino munching submarine. Lean, mean, seldom seen, dino munching submarine. Lean. Oh. Just smash the microphone there, um, but anyway, I can't, I can't remember the verse. But it's very uh, so the arrangement for that's quite rock and rolly, Rolling Stonesy. You'll you have to listen to it, find it, listen to it. I will. Um, yeah, <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> you can edit it in and play it, ladies and gentlemen. Professor Flint, lean, mean, seldom seen, dino munching submarine. I find when I do kids shows and. I bring up the word dinosaur because, you know, if I'm holding a bird, I kind of talk about that they're dinosaurs. Yep. And kids just spark up and they all want to tell you their factoids about dinosaurs. Kids know so much about dinosaurs. Yeah, and and we – it's often referred to as a – like paleontology as a, as a gateway science because it's, you know, dinosaurs and space are the two – uh, sciences that that kids are often like, and 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 I, for me, it's it's, it's dinosaurs that, that 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 win, because they do know lots of stuff. Young folk do, and they're passionate about them. And it's interesting to explore and think about what is what is it about dinosaurs? It's like, well, it's that thing. They were real. They're these real monsters that live here. They're, you know, we we have stories of of dragons and this and that and unicorns and stuff. It's like and Loch Ness monsters, but it's like, yeah, but the dinosaurs actually lived here. Like where we are now, there would have been dinosaurs strolling around at some point. Now we don't have a lot of fossil evidence in South Australia for dinosaurs because at the time a lot of us was under the water, um, and so we get plesiosaurs and ichthyosaurs and stuff. But for me, that's part of the fun too. Where you, I mean, where we are in the Adelaide Hills, you would have had diprotodons strolling around. You know, giant. And I'm not going to say wombats, but I just did. But they're not that. But they look a bit like a giant rhino-sized They're in the same wombat. order. They're related. They're, they're cousins, yeah. Um, but And for me, that's part of the thing, too, in terms of connecting people 
to their story, connecting to the to the natural world. So we know that there are things that live in our gardens, in the forest, and we can get to know them. And I think it's really important for people to do, you know. Now is a great time to be making a nature journal. And if you can't go to the forest because of, of virus stuff, but you can you can go sit in your garden, you can observe and, and do that. But also be aware that, you know, 30,000 years ago, there were these other critters walking by. 100 million years ago, some different creatures again. You know, 500 million years ago, what was living? Now, we've, we've got an amazing fossil site on Kangaroo Island at Emu Bay where they've got some of the most fascinating trilobites and things like Anomalocaris with this compound eye. You know, the, the, the T-Rex of the early Cambrian is often what it's referred to as. But, but these are animals that would have been kind of, yeah, they're all part of Australia's natural history. And part of the way that, that, that Flint's narrative and the way that the, we've, I've told it over the last few years has particularly started focusing people on, well, what's the story of where you live? What, what animals lived where you live? So, you know, you go up to Cooper Pedy, talk to a bunch of school kids there and, and grown-ups, and I remember, I remember sitting with them and I said, look up. They're like, yeah. Above your heads, you know, 70, 80 million years ago, those plesiosaurs that you see down at the museum and at Yanni's, there's, there's a place there they've got a few, they would have been swimming above your heads, right here, not in a book, not in a documentary, but right where you are. And I think we connect better to our place when we learn about those things. And I love T-Rex, don't get me wrong. You know, all those things are cool. All of those, you know, Archaeopteryx, all of those, you know, woolly mammoths, great. But learn about our stuff, you know. And if you're from North America, learn about your stuff. Learn about everybody's stuff, but particularly. For me, it's about learning about your own stuff. And I think that helps then with, with, with connecting to place. It helps people to better engage with the birds, with the worms, with the, the, the existing animals that live in their gardens. Yeah, and every life form, plants, worms, birds, they all have their evolutionary history too, which is fascinating to think about. Absolutely, and, and I think this sort of stuff helps put that into perspective and it helps you understand, you know. I mean, if, if, you, want to know, if you want to know what happens when you get a significant increase in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, ask a paleontologist. Why? Because they've seen it. And you can identify the causes of the past in the same way that we can identify the causes of increases of carbon dioxide now. So I think paleo is a really useful, user-friendly gateway science that allows us to do those things. And it's not even part of the school curriculum. Which is absurd. Do you think it should be? Absolutely, absolutely. Because it's a science that young people actually like. Um, and it's a science that allows you to... Well, there's components of biology and physics and chemistry and geology and, and all those things. Is that is that because of the conflict of religion originally? I hope not. But it could That's be. a good question. I don't think so. No. I don't know. I, I just Maybe think it's... come a, out, but yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are some religions, there are some people out there right now that well, don't believe in dinosaurs, dinosaurs. No. and there are others that believe we walked alongside dinosaurs. And look, people birds, people can believe whatever they like, and that's great, but that's not what the evidence tells us. Um, and look, I, I remember doing a tour with a with a chap 
uh, with a, with a with a group at the museum, and there was I was I was standing by the the chimps and the gorillas at the museum, and I started talking about DNA of chimps and gorillas, and this guy used some text, and he said, "Oh, we don't believe all that stuff where I come from," and I said, "Oh, never mind then." Where was he from? He was from Texas. He <laughs> <laughs> was he was from Texas. But but what I found interesting is I I, I thought, okay, you're here with your grandkids who are from Australia. I'm not going to change your mind, but I can help your grandchildren and the rest of people on the tour understand so i just made sure that for the rest of the tour we so we stopped at where there's a thing called the cloud chamber which shows you background radiation and i started talking about radiation and i started talking about x-rays and i said to this guy from texas you've had an x-ray haven't you he said yeah yeah so it worked yeah and i looked at the rest of the people so i wasn't pinpointing him with the the, the follow-up i said the really cool thing about x-rays is that it's the same science that allows us to date uh, these fossils and that allows us to work out that the earth is four and a half billion years old it's like it works for that it works for this it's the same science so basically he was going well i accept the science for this but i don't accept that it gives me that answer because that answer is inconsistent with my values in the world and that's the great challenge of science communication people will interpret people will you can you can give people a big a fact sheet of information and they will take the bits out of that that confirm their worldview it worked really well for us 200,000 years ago in terms of keeping us safe and fed but cognitive bias is is what people are doing whether it's confirmation bias which is that thing of confirming what you do whether it's um there's there's a bias there's 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 over a hundred of them but one of them is called the ikea bias and the ikea bias the reason it's called that is because you make something you create something whether it's a song or a story or uh an event or something and you are so invested in it that you find it really hard to see that it might actually be rubbish <laughs> and it never actually all fully comes together. And it never actually all fully comes together. Yeah. So, so or for for museums, it's really there's a there's a thing called cursive knowledge bias. So you can't be if you're a deliverer of public programs at a museum, you can't. And you've been there for a while. You can't be the first time visitor. You can't know how they're going to see an experience so what you have to do is have strategies that allow you to to check and do those things so when you're writing a show when you're doing a show rehearsals with the the performers but also live rehearsals in front of an audience you know putting things out there getting feedback from people and you don't have to take on what everybody says. In the end, you, you, you're the one who makes the final decision. But listen to what other people are saying about your content. Um, and I sometimes, I will go down the rabbit hole of reading comments on posts and comments that are completely contrary to my worldview. Because it's like, how, how does that person think that? And if I want to try and... If, if I want to try and engage with that person, how do I engage with a person who says, oh, no, no, climate's not changing, or the climate, yeah, it is changing, but climate's always changed, uh, or climate's always changed, but it's not us causing it. And and so it becomes a really interesting place to to dance and play in to see how you can 
communicate and and and, and respectfully you know um the anti-vax thing it's like anti-vaxxers love their children as much as people that understand that vaccines are actually pretty safe i know one of the great scientific revolutions of the last 500 years saved you know at the moment in covid19 this is what a world without vaccines looks like (laughs) <laughs> this is what a world without vaccines looks like. Everything is shut down because everything is contagious and people die and the system gets overloaded. This is, you know, people people from polio times and smallpox times. People, you know, this is this is what it was like. Even despite that, people are still digging their heels in and going, ah, it's not real. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> Seems to be younger generations and the older generations are just almost ignoring it. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it, it's, it, as I say, it, it's interesting. And, and we, the, the, the interesting thing in terms of trying to engage people in an era of fake news and social media is, is that the best story wins. The most engaging narrative wins. You know, Trump won because of a narrative. I am your voice. Yeah, people are really confident. If you push your idea with conviction, people believe it. Like preachers, he's like analogous to a preacher up on a stage. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, there's a there's a coming back to cognitive bias. There's a thing called Dunning Kruger, and that so Dunning Kruger, many of you will know, is this idea that the less you know, the less you realize how little you know. And so people from a position of ignorance often speak with great confidence, whereas people with a high level of knowledge about something, and scientists are very much like this in the way that they communicate, and I totally understand it, but but when we listen to scientists speak, it's often like, well, we can say this with this degree of probability, blah, 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 blah. People that, and journalists do it, and politicians do it, it's like, well, this is certain, and this is, and people want certainty. At a time of chaos, people want certainty. So it's really interesting to try and work out how you play in that space while at the same time trying to stay true to the idea of science and the scientific method and the fact that, that oh, well, you know, you can't say that for definite. So, which is why one of the things that Flint often talks about is like, yep, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And it's actually really cool that I don't know. And celebrate, celebrate not knowing something. That's true. Yeah, people get behind their absolute knowing. It's this. People want to hear that. Like yeah. the Bible told me it's in black and white and I know and hallelujah and they get loud and everybody goes, yeah, we're loud and we're together and we're combined in it and it's terrifying. Yeah, but, it, but it's, it's, it's a narrative that's worked. Um, religion, whatever, wherever the religion comes from, you know, and there are, you know, 20 billion versions of it, it you know, in a, in a, in an adaptive evolutionary sense, it's actually been quite useful at times in terms of, of drawing communities together and doing things. But equally, we can see that it can be um, when it butts up against reality and science and stuff and you see preachers saying, I will breathe, I will I will blow COVID away. It's like, yeah, well, you just died, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you see preachers standing up, gather together, brother, and we will. And yes, and you've, you've just, all those people have died because cause they didn't actually listen to the science. So... Yeah, we, we live, as the Chinese say, may you live in interesting times. Well, we do. And I'm fascinated. 
by it. It's challenging and mad and insane and bonkers, but fascinating. I, I in terms of, I mean, paleontologically, we are living in a golden age of paleontology because of the science that allows us to study things. Um, and the discoveries that are being made. I think scientifically we're living in a fascinating age. But in terms of turning points in human history, it's like we 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 live probably at the most important time. And I mean, maybe every generation says that. I don't know, but we do live at a pivotal, important time in human history, and all of us have a role in deciding where we go with this. It seems very make or break, doesn't it, at the moment? Yeah, I mean, what what we know is we're not going to break the planet. You know, 252 million years ago, at the end of the Permian extinction, 96% of everything, all species died. Earth came back from that. 66 million years ago, 70%, I think it is, of all the species died. Earth came back from that, and we ended up with, with a whole bunch of new and fascinating and extraordinary species. 10,000 species, or 11,000 species of dinosaurs that are alive today in birds. So Earth goes through these mass extinctions, but give it a chance, and we see it after bushfires, give nature a chance, and it's actually pretty cool. And we, we're seeing it in some parts of the world at the moment, where there's less planes in the sky, and there's less factories doing all the things it's like oh turns out give nature a chance and it's actually pretty resilient at coming back now it'll come back different you know we we don't know what will come after the sixth mass extinction it'd be nice if we're still there and the crazy thing is we're actually smart enough to still be there because we do amazing things we we i mean it was just a couple of years ago that we landed a comet on an asteroid like, that's like that's like having a pea shooter in Sydney blowing the pea shooter and landing in a designated person's hand in Perth. Did you say we landed a comet on an asteroid? So we landed a, a, a not a comet. What did I say? We landed a, what are those things called? A spacecraft? Yes, a thing. We landed <laughs> a, a space thing. A shuttle <laughs> thing. <laughs> Was it the Jetsons you were watching? <laughs> oh yeah, that. <laughs> was that? <laughs> no, but we landed a little space module thing on a yeah, right. on an asteroid. I mean, that's just extraordinary. We're, we're pretty awesome. What worries me though, I mean, abs- I absolutely agree that, you know, we can't kill the planet. The planet will die eventually and it won't be us doing it. And life will always find a way. We couldn't probably wipe out all life if we tried. But it takes millennia for the complexity of biodiversity that exists in some places like the Mount Lofty Ranges to come back. So that'll be missed for future generations of humans. And the rewards for living around biodiversity are huge for, for our well-being. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely agree, which is, which is why I, I think we need to do all that we can to make people more scientifically literate. We need to do more that we can to engage people in the natural world around them. And we do that by the stuff that, you know, Animals Anonymous does in engaging people with the critters that are here, that are alive now. And we do that through talking about prehistoric animals. Firstly, to learn about the, the place, the creatures that walked and lived where you do, but also to go, well, we're never going to see a thylacoleo again. We're never going to see a, you know, um, Australovenator, this amazing Australian dinosaur. We're never going to see that. We're never going to see this. Can we try and make sure that the critters that are around now 
we don't do them the disrespect and the disservice of sending them into oblivion as well. And even if in the end it's just for pure selfish needs, because it, it does become quite a human-centric thing. It's like, well, let's, what are we going to save? Well, they're the cute, fluffy ones. We won't save the ugly ones. And, and that's part of the, you know, again, that's part of how, you, how do you tell the story of, of critters? Because the fluffies do, and they often, and we often, like with, with pandas, the, the, the panda is this, this iconic animal that probably, but for human intervention, would have gone extinct because they're quite dumb. They eat their environment until it's all gone. <laughs> they're not very good at breeding. And it's like, mm. In Australia, it's often it's koalas. It's like, well, save the koalas. Well, save the koalas and save all the other things that kind of live with it. But other animals have really cool stories to tell. And I think we need to get better at that. I think we need to get better at, you know, the critters telling the stories of the, of the, of the reptiles and the, and the bugs and all of those things because they are so called in themselves. And I think, like backing up to when you said like you know we, we're probably not the first generation to try and change things around I think we're, we're maybe the, the second or third generation to try and change things around uh, we're just getting more um, knowledgeable about it to, to know what we're doing and I think for the next 10 generations we're still going to be evolving on trying to save this planet so it's not all up to us it's not sometimes we joke and say like the next generation it's up to them to actually well it's not it's up to the next 10 generations to really carry on doing this it's not going to be down to ours or the next generation it's got to keep going now forever to try and yeah you you you, you are you know because because it is because you're right we, we do and even before when i was saying is like, in the well, small you know, amount of time that we've been on this planet yeah one generation ain't going to make a difference it's multiple but it well it can but it can make a significant difference it makes a difference yeah um but it's it's yeah and it's it's if each generation is an iteration in the right direction um then then we'll be good but it, it's we we uh, we are a diverse planet of peoples and cultures um we all have our own very different sets of values um and it's how do you how do you bring all that together i mean do you need to bring it together for us to save the stuff i yeah it's really hard questions at times and in, in, in the end, all you can do is, like, all any of us can do is what we do at an individual level. So for me, what, what I do is like, well, I tell stories and I sing songs and I share that stuff with people in all the different ways that I can. And the more people and organisations that, that I can work with that have similar worldviews, then the more we can create things that otherwise we couldn't create individually so for me that's part of the fun um i mean songwriting was always the the buzz from the beginning for me and it'll i reckon it probably will constantly come back to to that that's the stuff i love doing more than all of it but it's through doing that that i've had these opportunities i mean just just today you know just just today doing some videoing here at animals anonymous holding these really cool australian animals the, the chats that Adrian, well, was, was having with, with me as Professor Flint. I mean, for me, it's like, this is really cool. Hell I'm what? sitting here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So he was here earlier. Ooh. He was here earlier. <laughs> but you know what I mean? To be able to sit here with a, with a tawny frog mouth on my hand and to talk to one of the people that knows about these animals, that looks after it, it's like, well, uh, that's pretty cool. You know, and, and if nothing happens other than that, for me, it's like, oh, that was really cool. 
but then we put that stuff online and that will help other people engage you know um, so I think you, you've got to love the thing that you're doing at the time you're doing it and then you hurl it out into the universe and it'll do whatever it does um, I love that way of thinking I love that, that you do something that you absolutely love um, because I, I think that you'd get the message out way better than just doing something that you're not that into but you think you're putting a message out there like if you love what you're doing you, your message is going to be so much better yeah and even 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 doing this even having this this yarn this podcasting to me it's like this is a really interesting chat because it's an opportunity for me to talk about the stuff that i do and for you to ask me whatever you want and if you to comment and stuff and sitting on this back veranda we're getting a little bit more overcast we haven't had the storm yet but gentlemen you know I mean? I like, this is this is this is not a bad Saturday afternoon. Mm. And you're educating us, and hopefully we're educating everyone that listens to it, which is what it's all about. Yeah, it's team science, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, team science. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Have you read Sapiens by Aval Harari? He talks a lot about how religion was used to bring people together. So once upon a time you had your tribe of 50 to 150 people that you would fight against the neighbouring tribes with alongside, you know, whereas with religion you'd fight under this religious banner with people that you'd never met that may look very, very different to you. Um, It's almost like science is a universal language that joins all different types of people together. Do you find that? I... It, it, well, it can do. Um, we we need to. Um, in answer to your first question, I haven't, I haven't read the book. Uh, I've seen it um, on a shelf, but I've got about ten million books at home. You know, when you buy lots of books and you, you know, I'll read that eventually. You know, and they just you just get this marvelous bookshelf, and it's like mm, I've read some of them. Um, but but look, science is a is a. I mean, it, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of way of understanding the world, of interpreting the world. I mean, people often, when I'm Prof Flint or even as Michael, I say, oh, do you, do you believe in climate change? And my answer is, no, I don't. And you can see them getting all smug. It's like, yeah, good. And I said, but I accept the science of climate change because science is not a belief. Now, one of the things that, that, that bad psychomers often do is they'll say to people who don't accept the science or who are of the view... I don't believe in climate change. They will say to them, well, I don't care what you believe. Facts are facts and you just have to accept the facts. You know, science doesn't care. Facts don't care. It's like, well, that's not going to engage that person, is it? That's just going to put their back up. They're just going to say, well, you're belittling me now, aren't you? You're, 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 you're making me feel stupid. It's like, well, that's, that's... So we've got to be really careful with that. So I, I think the... I think it's Neil deGrasse Tyson talks... Or maybe it was Carl Sagan or somebody. No, it may have even been Ricky Gervais. <laughs> <laughs> the other one. Wow, there, there's a difference. In <laughs> but it may have been Ricky Gervais borrowing from either of those. But he, one of them, talks about this idea that if all of the people that are alive now died and then in 50 million years' time a new sentient species arose that uh, then started exploring the world and seeking to understand it. Chances are they may well, during that process, uh, develop different forms of religion. Now, those forms of religion will be quite different to the ones that are now, but the science 
and the chemical reactions and those things will be the same. But of course, you you can say that to people who are of, of, of different values to yours, and they'll go, well, no, my God, the view, the world view, of, the universe view of my God will be the same. So that, do you know what I mean? So, so and I understand what somebody like Ricky's saying in that, but again, it's not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna wash with somebody. Uh, it's not gonna wash with a member of the Taliban or the deeply religious in the U.S. in the, you know, in in Texas. They're they're still gonna go. Well, no, my God is right. My God is right. Now the question then is like, to what degree do you spend your time trying to engage with? with the extreme elements but you've got to get some of those people that don't follow your worldview uh, or don't understand how the world works at those levels and i think science is a great way of doing that but if it's done right and respectfully you do see it happen you do see people leave these toxic religions and come out into the world of non-religion the secular world a lot of people would maybe argue with toxic religions they, they might they might <laughs> so, yeah now i guess i i do have a problem with some of the religions when you look at how far we've come with science and how much work people have put into science and so many so many of these people don't earn a lot of money it's a labor of love um standing on the backs of each other to come up with these great um stories that we can tell about the world just for someone to go, well, we've got this book, we don't need any of that, and they indoctrinate their kids into into that story as well. But we do see people leaving that. But we also see scientific people turning to religion. There's, there's something that religion offers that maybe uh, science doesn't offer. It's, uh, I think that's because religion, sorry, religion has backed off a hell of a lot of not believing that there were dinosaurs and things. I don't yeah, think but it's also, it, it's also we, we are... Uh, communal animal we're a social animal so we want certainty we want community and whether it's a football club or whether it's a religion that's what those organizations offer and you know we often we i've been involved in science events where they go oh we had we had 300 people turn up today it's like yeah so the church down the road has that every sunday (laughs) (laughs) you know and there's a couple of science clubs around adelaide but people and and there's there's comfort and there's certainty and I, I and I totally get it and 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 most of it most of it is as Douglas Adams would say is mostly harmless difficulty arises the problems arise is when when decisions are made in the name of a particular religion through taking a particular verse from a particular book that impact on everybody you know, um, you, you you see particular people here in Australia and around the world taking particular phrases from the Old Testament and saying, "Oh, well, this means this means this, this means that." It's like, well, you're wearing mixed thread. Your book also says that. Your book says that you should be stoned to death if you work on a Sunday. So why? And it's like, oh, well, no, that's not meant to be literal. Well, where in the book does it say which bits are literal and which are not? So this is that thing of people interpreting all of the things in the context of their values and what they think. So it, it's a it's a fascinating thing to start looking at. It is very interesting. So to bring us away from the religion <laughs> talk <laughs> at the moment, uh, we're up at Animals Anonymous. You guys have been here all day filming. What's that about? What's that about? So Prof Flint, my paleontologist character, uh, and 
Adrian. Uh, we videoed well, half a dozen videos, um, just casual five-minute chats with particular critters, um, and I'll post them over the coming weeks on the Dinosaur University Facebook page um, and share them and tag and, 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 and also on Professor Flint's Dinosaurs Down Under page and stuff. So Dinosaur University is an idea that I've been playing with for a little while and had had the at Dinosaur University Facebook page, hadn't done anything with it, hadn't didn't have any followers until about four weeks ago. And I thought, ah, COVID-19, I need to think of ways of, of adapting and doing some things and the and thinking about what to do with Dino Uni, it, it, it got me into this really interesting creative space where I thought Prof Flint is Dinosaurs Down Under, but Dinosaur University is much broader. And Dinosaurs Down Under has often talked about things that are not Australian dinosaurs. If I create these two sep have these this separate new thing, then what does that look like? And what does that and and if it's a university and it's for kids five to twelve and their families, obviously kids five to twelve aren't on Facebook, but their parents are. So started playing with what that might look like. Um, started doing a couple of uh, Facebook live events a week. So every Wednesday at 11 o'clock, do a Q&A. Um, and that was in, that's been interesting because it's like just press the on switch, go live, and anybody in the world can ask me as Prof Lent a paleontology question. And I love the risk that's involved in that because you have no idea what's coming. Um, and I love that. I love... You know, I've walked out on stage before not knowing what song I'm going to sing. I love that. It's like, yep, give me chaos and uncertainty. Um, the Friday show, uh, live show, is much more curated. Um, and so it has a series of segments. Although we did one this week where I was live from the Flinders University Paleo Lab. Um, and that's some of that stuff where it's like, well, who are the organisations I've got relationships with that we can do some things? So the page has gone from from nothing to about fifteen, sixteen hundred likes and or more followers in in the space of a few weeks. And so then I started thinking, okay, creating certainty in chaos. So most Facebook pages uh, just share things on an ad hoc basis. So I thought, actually, I don't want to do that. I want to I want to see what happens if you take a much more curatorial approach to um, a Facebook page. So, Tuesday at Dinosaur University, the things that I share are about paleo art and craft. So, they're activities, they're things of here's a paleo artist, um, here's their site, and here's some questions that I'll ask about it. Uh, Thursday is an aspect of paleontology. So, we've done coprolites, we've done microfossils. Um, and different days have other, other days have different things. And so, I've been thinking. Because one of the things that we we on the show have talked about is, and on the page have talked about, people is like you to be a paleontologist, you need to understand living animals because they help you better understand animals from the past. If you know how a wombat walks, given that it's given its skeleton, if you know how reptiles walk, then when you look at something from the past that's a reptile, you can you can start making and drawing some conclusions from that. Um, and so. The idea I've got now is I want to make Sundays. Sunday is is Safari Day, 
but all in terms of going into your gardens, but it's also the day where we learn about the existing natural world because that's a fundamental part of, 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 of becoming a paleontologist at Dinosaur University. And one of the obvious places to come was 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 here with Adrian and to to and, and have you know just a short casual chat nothing high tech nothing with lots of cutaways and and close ups and stuff no it's just Professor Flint and Adrian sitting on the sofa with a critter and having a bit of a five minute banter about that animal. Um and I and and so yeah so that's that's the short answer to the question. <laughs> What's the short answer? I it can't even remember me. what I asked. Yes. Now. <laughs> um, well, the question was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what am I doing here? Um, so yeah, but but putting that all into context, it was. It's for me. It's about. And again, it's about honing, honing the content of of Dinosaur University and what are the things that people that that, that I talk to and that give us comments. What what are the sorts of things that they want? One of the things that Sundays was originally for was to send people uh, uh, on a virtual tour at a museum. Now, most of the virtual tours at museums are awful because you go in and you click and they mean well, but it's it's like, okay, I can't read the labels. Um, I use my mouse to kind of walk around. I don't, what, what is that thing? It looks really cool, but what is it? So a couple of times in the last couple of weeks I've done that, but I've given people instructions on, okay, I want you to look for this. And when you look for that thing, and you find it, then try this and try that. But I think now nah, that's too now nah, the, the the museum the museum virtual tours that I want people to be looking at if they're to look at them they need those tours themselves need to be done so much better than they are. Um, so yeah, I I, I, I want to change the format of Sunday into this natural world thing, and I think that broadens it up. It allows us to do a lot more things, you know, and and so every Sunday. You know, we, we did half a dozen videos today. That will keep me happy for the next six weeks. Um, and then I'll, it just means I'll have to come up and hang out with more critters. Or we can talk more about a particular critter. We can, you know, maybe there's some live stuff. We can do, you know, we can always do Dinosaur University Live from Animals Anonymous. You know, I, and I think it's exploring all those ideas and possibilities. It's a real honour getting to work with kids. Since this COVID thing, I haven't been able to go to any schools. And I've done a few live shows online and it sounds really cheesy, but, you know, when you see kids engaging and you see their faces, I'd forgotten that. And I I think I even took it for granted. So it was really cool to kind of go, hey, my job's great. You know, it's a real honour to be able to um, introduce kids to some of these some of these cool animals and concepts. Oh, look, I, th- I think you're absolutely right, and I think the word you use that it's an honour. It absolutely is, because we're, we're talking about the best audience in the world, and we're talking about the best audience in the world because they're interested, they're engaged, but they'll also, if you're crap, they'll just go, yeah, see you later, I'm out of here. <laughs> they'll they'll tune out, and good, because you 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 get such a cool level of instant feedback, but you get those moments. I I had a I had a parent send me a photograph um, after doing a Dinosaur University Live thing on a Friday a couple of weeks ago, their young lad ran out of his room and said, guess who this is? And this kid had made Lego Professor Flint in his office. And I'm, <laughs> I, I literally, I, I got tears in my eyes. 
Just like what this this kid has been so has watched the stuff that that, that I've done and has been so inspired by it that it's like it had this it, and the other thing that he had said to his mum he said this is the one Lego thing that we don't pull apart yeah you know and it's that it's, it's absolutely that and we you know <laughs> we're always struggling to find money in what we do uh, especially now you know freelance creative income goes from something to nothing so you've got to try and find ways of uh, before I start eating the neighbours of, of doing things um, but it's that stuff it's that stuff that you just go, yep, yep, I I have to find a way. Have to find a way to keep doing this. Don't go hungry. We've got a hundred animals here. And I think we I I've think got we, so many snakes. You got yeah, that's right. <laughs> they yeah. last and we'll, last. We'll be all right. we'll I've be not sure. had snake before. But uh, coming back to your to your yeah. kiddie thing, like you two working with kids and that, like Tim Faulkner, who we had on the show. Uh, that was one of his big points, wasn't it? Like, it's hard to hit the parents and the grandparents. If you can get the kid, you're automatically getting the parents and the grandparents because the kids will go and talk to them about it as well. So, yeah, I think you guys are definitely hitting the right market. Yeah, and it's funny because it, it was never a conscious market choice. And I've seen, I've seen people come and go over quite a few years that are like, oh! I can sing some songs for some kids because there's money in that. It's like, go away. Go mm. away. I can do this because there's money in that. But get away. Just just go away. You're not here for the right reason. Just go away and your stuff's going to be rubbish and it generally is because you've, you've, you've got to be passionate about the thing. Mm. You know, and, and if you're not passionate about the thing and you're not passionate about the audience, I just... I love... I mean, one of the things I love about doing birthday parties, and, and I love doing big gigs, you know. Uh, I've done Cows by Candlelight before. I've done, you know, gigs in theatres with backdrops and things, and I love doing those. I love doing birthday parties at the museum. And I love them because you've got, you know, a dozen kids and their family, and you've got this constant interaction with these kids and they're asking you things and every session is different and Adrian you'd know you know the, the interactive stuff the questions you get in those small groups it's like I would love to whatever happens with whatever I do I hope that there's a, always a way to be able to do that you know because you, you can't you, you can't do what you do without those people one of the things I talk to the young performers that I work with and one of the things we make sure we do so we do a lot of shows at the Maritime Museum so we finish the show and then we will stay talking to the audience and having photos taken for as long as people want photos taken and as long and if we're there for another 20 minutes and it means we've only got a 15 minute break before the next show so be it because we can't we can't do what we do without those people turning up you know and even if you're doing a free show so yeah, they could be doing a thousand other things today, but they've chosen to come and see you. They've chosen, so you know, most of the dinosaur university stuff is free. We've got a Patreon subscription thing, but most of it is free. Now those people could be doing anything at that moment. They've chosen. They've gone right. I want. I want to listen to that. I want to watch this. And and it comes back to that. It's such an honour that people of all the things they could be doing, they've gone. I'm going to go and listen to Professor Flint or I'm going to watch this Animals Anonymous video right now and I could be doing a million other things. So, yeah, honour is absolutely the word. Hmm. Well, mate, that's awesome. 
thank you so much oh absolute pleasure and um long may we continue to do the cool stuff we get to do all of us so can you tell everyone how they can get to see these videos on a Sunday and all the other stuff that you Yeah, do? so if you uh, go to, uh, on, on Facebook, at Dinosaur University, um, it's as simple as that. Um, you can also look up at Dinosaurs Down Under, um, and I'm also at Heaps Good, but I think at Dinosaur University is, is the thing for me that's got the the... Uh, it, it's, it's it's probably the easiest one to find, um, and and tune in. You'll see stuff from Animals Anonymous. You'll see stuff from Flinders University Paleontology Group. You'll see stuff from from folk from all over the place that that helps tell those stories and connects us with stuff. So yeah, and buy your albums. And yes, so uh, Professor Flint is available on. He's a uh, lovely guy. He's a lovely man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> bit of a prima don no he's not he's alright um, but you could if you've got a Spotify account you can look up Professor Flint on Spotify um, but you could also you know much better off if you if you buy it so you can download it on you know Apple Music iTunes Amazon Music all the usual wherever whoever your music provider is um, you can find Professor Flint so there's two albums Dinosaurs Amongst Us and Dinosaurs Down Under thank you Michael and thank- guys thank you gentlemen Thank you for listening.